this is Kara Foster, Senior Minister of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky. You're listening to our sermon podcast. You can connect with us at firstchristianmadisonville.org or join us in person at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at 10.30 College Drive in beautiful Madisonville, Kentucky. I hope you'll subscribe. Thanks. Good morning, friends. According to the Gospel of John, Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana is Jesus' very first sign. John calls miracle moments in his Gospel signs. He doesn't call them miracles. He refers to them as signs. And there are seven signs in John's Gospel. And all of these signs are supposed to be telling us something about who Jesus is, the very nature of Jesus. And before I begin to read this passage, I just want to say about this particular story, and if I haven't already, if you haven't heard, this whole next 40 days, I'm going to be preaching from the Gospel of John. And this story has always sort of perplexed me. The other signs, the other miracles... They make sense to me. Someone sick or hurting, Jesus relieves suffering. A hungry crowd that needs to be fed, Jesus feeds them. Walking on water, all of these things seem to be things a Savior would do, at least to me. But changing water into wine at a wedding, to us in our time and place, all these years later, it sort of seems like Jesus is every favorite party guest at the party or the life of every party. It just doesn't seem to make sense to us. But I hope by the time we finish this passage today that you will have some new understanding of what Jesus was doing in this moment. Um, And if you look at the introduction of John, the very beginning of John's gospel, the prologue, it's the first 18 verses of chapter 1, John actually mentions the word grace four different times. And the unique thing about that is that he never mentions the word grace again. He gets it all out in those first 18 verses, and then he never says it again. And the thinking is that it is John's way of saying, Jesus is grace, and now these next chapters are going to show you how he is that grace in the world. In fact, from the prologue it says, And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, and the glory of only a father's son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We have all received grace upon grace. So now we're going to look at John chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, I invite you to read along with me if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, I'm going to read 11 verses. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, 
each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water they had, that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Well, every wedding has its drama, doesn't it? Something that doesn't go right, the best laid plans, everything you think is all set and perfect for the occasion. Uh, Zach better study up as he's making those plans in Texas right now. Personally, I happen to think that's what makes weddings so wonderful and fun. It's the memories that you remember of all the things that didn't go exactly right. I have seen a little kid at the reception take a finger, a germy finger, to the icing on this beautiful, perfect wedding cake. Um, I won't name names, but I have had a bride that got a spray tan the day before her wedding, and she got married looking very pumpkin orange. I've had a couple of grooms almost pass out on me. In fact, I hate to say it, guys, it's only ever been grooms that have almost passed out. At my own wedding in July in Mexico, you all, I've told you all about this before. My brother happens to be a pretty decent Spanish speaker. He lived in Central America for a time. And um, for our wedding, he went and found a local mariachi band and asked them to come out on the beach and play for our wedding. And my aunt had requested a song. It had been my grandparents' song at their, their whole life long. Their favorite song as a couple was a song called Besame Mucho. And so my aunt said, you got to play this at the wedding. Play Besame Mucho. And my brother told the mariachi band, but somehow... What the mariachi band heard was solamente besame mucho, which means that they played that song over and over and over and over. I'm not joking until my dad walked over and was like, we've had enough, we're good. We, we, we know the words to the song by now. But that's the fun stuff about weddings. It really is, but in Jesus's time and place, Weddings were a big societal moment that displayed your status and your respectability to the entire community. They were an important ceremonial transaction. The bride was a part of that important ceremonial transaction. And how well the groom's family was able to celebrate as a way to show status and respect, and frankly, it said to the community, the whole future sustainability, it was a moment to display who you were in society. So when things go wrong at this wedding in Cana, it isn't funny, it isn't embarrassing, it's shameful, it is a disgrace. And Jesus is there with his mother, and she comes with the news. They have run out of wine. Run out of wine. We're only in day three of a week-long event, and it's out. 
Jesus' mother asks her son to do something about it to help. Now here is the amusing part of this story to me. Frankly, it's a moment where Jesus' humanness is on full display because Jesus says, my time has not yet come. He really isn't particularly interested in using this moment as a moment to step into the spotlight. But you know mothers. She persists, doesn't she? She persists. Frankly, there you go, Mom. Our work is never done, even if you're parenting the Savior of the world. She encourages him to do it, and he relents, and there's this miraculous moment where all those empty water vessels are turned into wine. He takes six jugs that hold 20 to 30 gallons of water that were used for their proper ceremoniously to be washed up, to stay ritually clean and purified. These are huge water vessels, and he turns every bit of it into wine. We're talking 120, 180 gallons of wine. It is an absurd amount, a huge amount, more than enough for everybody. And not just any wine. This is good stuff. The scripture says that after the steward, overseeing the whole event, tasted the wine, he calls the groom over. What are you doing? Everyone knows you serve the best wine first and put out the bad stuff after everyone doesn't care anymore. You start with Napa Valley and you end with Boone's Farm. This is how it went 2,000 years ago. It's not me. It's the Middle East. So the steward's shocked because this is the best of the best wine. But Jesus takes this family's moment of shame and he turns it into a moment of grace. Or maybe another way to say it is he turns their mess into a message. Jesus changes their story. It was sadness and embarrassment and humiliation and he turns it into a moment of God's abundance and joy. Like John said in chapter 1, from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. This family in Cana sure knew it that day. It was a gift, a moment of God's goodness. And not only is it the best kind of wine, but it's six water vessels, 120, 180 gallons of wine. It is more than they could have ever even used or needed. Their cup is literally overflowing. They had gone from shame to happiness. It's gospel math. It's grace upon grace. And I wonder today if you've ever experienced that in your own life. Maybe it isn't big gallons of wine, but have you ever known what it feels like to be there, to feel like you're in the valley in the shadow of death, and you're walking through that path, and you're just certain you're never going to make it out alive, and much to your surprise, you discover God provided for you every step of the way. When you don't think you have enough light to make your way by, only in hindsight do you see, oh, God was there. God carried me through. Maybe it's a second chance you didn't deserve. Maybe you were surprised by a joy or a gift of something in your life you could have never imagined. 
Maybe that roadblock or that dead end that you never wanted to happen that turned out to be the best thing for you in your life. As one of my favorite authors likes to say, hope bats last. Have you seen that in your own life? Have you lived it? This is a sign of who Jesus is. John tells us that filling those empty water vessels with new wine made his disciples believe in him. And it wasn't because he saved the party. It's because that they saw that he took someone's shame and heartache and turned it into joy. He gave them grace upon grace. And right here, from the very start of Jesus' public ministry, he's telling us the kind of Savior he's going to be. Not a Savior who levels the score, not a Savior who's going to give you what you deserve or what you have coming to you. He is the one who changes our story. He sets us free from our own shame. He puts a new story in our lives. Jesus takes those old, empty water vessels and turns them into new wine. So we're the ones standing there in awe. It's gospel math. It's when 2 plus 3 equal 500. So often, the joy for me of being a pastor is actually getting a front row seat in that very same story in your lives. Glimpsing it again and again. The job that ended, that turned out to open up a whole new path and calling in your life. The much prayed for and hoped for baby. People that give not only faith a chance, but church a chance again after they've been deeply wounded. Healing through scary medical times. New beginnings, new starts, new healing. I love getting a front row seat to that in your lives. It's one of the things I love about being a pastor. You know, in these next few weeks of Lent, this season as we journey to the cross in these next 40 days, we're going to keep sharing stories that hope to teach us about who Jesus is, like today at the wedding in Cana. And I hope, I hope in some way, big or small, you have known a grace like that. I hope you've glimpsed a Savior's love like that in your life, a Savior who will not leave you in your own shame. A Savior who turns our ashes into new life and those empty vessels into new wine. So that when you find yourself walking through your own valley or shadow of death, that you will find strength to keep on walking. Because you know, you know, he's with you. And there's no path ahead that he hasn't already gone there for you. Promise to never leave you or forsake you. So you can find courage to keep on walking through any darkness you may face until you find the light again. He is grace upon grace. And I'll tell you one of my own memories from ministry, a front row seat, actually, and I've told you before, but in my early years at First Christian Church in Rockwood, Tennessee, one summer, I don't even remember the theme, but the project for the kids that day was, oh, that week, was to collect offerings, change, and dollars for the local Knoxville Refugee Agency. And at the end of the week, I think we probably had $250, $300, and we 
deposited and sent a check to the refugee agency and uh, just with a note that said this was collected from our kids at church so please use this money for kids in some way forgot all about it and then uh, a few months later in December I get a call from the director of this agency and she said well I just want to thank you for this gift that your kids made to our ministry um, I have an idea of how I would like to spend that money and she said you know we've had a lot of families this year move and get settled into our area and they have kids and these kids have been through horrendous unspeakable trauma war violence um, change that we can't even begin to imagine and she said but most of them come from tropical parts of the world they have uh, never experienced winter or freezing or snow and so I thought it would be great to I wanted to rent the downtown pop-up ice skating rink in Knoxville and let the kids experience ice skating for the first time and I said oh that's great and she said yeah I want, to, I want you to know I called the skating rink and I said how much does it cost to rent the rink for one hour and the guy said, well, how much do you have? And she said, well, I got $250 from these kids at First Christian Church Rockwood. And he said, close enough. See, it's gospel math. <laughs> and so she said, I've got this rink reserved for one hour this Saturday. And I'm calling you because I was wondering if any of your kids from your church wanted to come go ice skating with them. So on a Saturday in December for one hour in downtown Knoxville, Tennessee. A bunch of adults stood around the wall of this pop-up skating rink and watched with our own eyes God's beloved community of children laughing and playing and skating together. The truth is the lifelong Tennesseans were just as bad at ice skating as the Afghani and Sudanese and Burmese Tennesseans. Um, they were all pretty terrible, but for one solid hour, all of us adults circled around that rink and we just smiled watching it. Cheered every time some kid got brave enough to let go of the wall and skate out into the middle of the ice. You know, the Irish, call these places thin places. It's their word for when God's heaven and earth come so close that it's thin. It was a thin place as we watched those kids skating together. And the truth is, I am convinced that every single one of us adults that were there that day know exactly the word we would use to call it. It was grace upon grace. Amen.